for all the disruptions of technology, I don't want you to miss that this is actually quite a remarkable Bible passage for us this morning. Uh, This has something that's incredibly important for you to hear, and particularly if you're a Christian this morning. So if you're a Christian, which I hope is a lot of the people here, uh, you need to hear this. If you're not yet a believer, if you haven't put your trust in Jesus, don't worry, there's something here for you too. And this is really good news for us. So let's pray. Let's ask that God would help us understand this part of his word. Let's pray. Father God, we prayed already, but we ask again, would you open our eyes to see you more clearly now? Would you help us see the goodness of your word? Would you help us see what you have done for us in the Lord Jesus? Would you change us through your gospel? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this afternoon uh, is our river cruise. I'm excited for this. I hope you are too if you're coming. If you're not yet, it's actually not too late. And if you'd like to come, and even if money is a problem, come talk to us. We want to get you there if, you can, if you'd like to be there. But originally, Janice and my plan was that we were going to send the kids to their grandparents and we were going to go on the cruise without them because that sounded like a good time. Um, those plans fell through. And so now we're taking Josiah and Ellie with us on this cruise. And when you take kids out into civilised society, uh, you tend to sit them down beforehand and remind them to be good, don't you? Now, Johnny, when we go out, people don't like it when you throw their sho- your shoes at them. You need to remind them to be good. And the reason you need to remind them is because... They're not. (laughs) Being good doesn't come naturally. And so we remind our kids of what we expect. And it's completely pointless. See, all the clear instructions, all the warnings, all the stern whisperings in their ear, they do nothing. They do nothing to actually make your kid good, do they? You can remind them all you like. You can use every tone that you have available. Let's be good. Be good. None of of it makes any difference. The million dollar question for every parent in the world since the beginning of time is how do you actually make them good? You can tell them, you can remind them, you can threaten them. But how do you make them good? Well, just like the Stoke family's afternoon... Our passage for this morning also begins with a reminder to be good. Have a look in your Bibles. Titus chapter 3, verse 1 says, Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle towards everyone. See, Paul wants Titus to remind the Christians living in Crete to be good And this isn't the first time that he's brought up the topic. In fact, the whole letter of Titus is basically about Christians being good. Chapter 1 says, Elders must be men who love what is good. False teachers are unfit for doing anything good. In chapter 2, older women are to teach what is good. Titus himself is to set an example by doing what is good. And the reason Paul makes such a big deal about Christians doing good is because in chapter 2 last week we learned that Jesus makes a big deal about this. 
Jesus went to the cross so that you would be good. We saw it in chapter 2, verse 14. The whole reason that Jesus gave himself for us was to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Jesus died to save sinners, but he loves you too much to leave you that way. He wants you to be good. He wants you to be eager to do what is good. And the million dollar question for you and I is, how do we actually do it? How do we become good? Because if you're a Christian, you know there's a difference between God counting you as righteous through the finished work of Christ and actually being righteous. If you want to use the theological terms, there's a difference between justification, that legal declaration from God that you are right, that you're not guilty, and sanctification, that process of you actually being righteous. And the moment you put your trust in Jesus, God looks at you and says, you're perfect. But our experience right here, right now, is anything but that, isn't it? The moment you became a Christian, you didn't start being perfect, did you? You talk to any new convert, and they'll struggle with this. They've put their trust in Jesus. Why isn't everything changing? Why do I still sin? There's a difference between God counting you as righteous and actually becoming righteous. And the question is, how do we become righteous? You can know all your sins are forgiven, but how do you become someone who just doesn't sin? How do we, saved sinners, become saints? That's the question for us this morning. It's the million dollar question. And to bring that abstract concept closer to home, the question for you this morning is how did you overcome your sin? How do you overcome your addictions? How do you win your struggle against your anger? How do you overcome your lustful thoughts? How do you live a life that's not marked by greed or pride? How do you stop yourself from believing that the only thing in your life that will make you truly happy is success or being loved? Well, Titus chapter 3 is a passage that's all about being good. It's about how we actually live the life that Jesus asks us to live. And next week, we're going to come back through this chapter and we're going to look at the specifics of being good. We're going to look at Paul's instructions here about obeying authorities, about arguing about religion. We're going to look at what he has to say about being gentle and considerate to everyone. So we're going to come back to that. But right here today, today our focus is on just on those verses 3 to 8 where we see two things that you need in order to actually become righteous, to actually live up to Jesus' standard of goodness. So how do you become good? First, we need to see that being good does not come naturally to us. In verse 1, Paul tells Titus to remind the people to be good, and presumably the reason that they need reminding is that they are not being good. 
You don't remind people to be good when they're already good. I don't need to remind my children to eat all their dessert or to trash their bedrooms. I don't need to remind my children to coat every surface of the bathroom with bathwater. I don't need to tell them to do that. They do it just fine. But you do need to remind people to do what they're not doing. And so in verse 1, Paul tells Titus to remind Christians to do what they are not doing, which is to be good. But then it's really interesting what he does next, because in verse 3, the very next thing that he says to Titus is to remind him that he was not good. And to remind Titus that Paul himself was not good. Do you see that verse 3? He says, at one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. And so why does Paul go from telling Christians to be good to then talking about himself and saying that I wasn't good? Why, why is this relevant to the topic at hand? Well, the, question, the, the, the answer is that because whether you're a brand new Christian or whether you're an apostle of Jesus, we all need reminding that we're not good. Or at least it doesn't come naturally to us. And we need to remind ourselves because our default setting is to actually think that we are good. It's why... When you head out in your car and you cut someone off at an intersection, it's because they were going too fast. Do you see? You're right. You're good. The problem is them. It's the same reason that every argument in your marriage was started by your spouse. We all think that we're good. Our default setting is to think that we're good, and Christians are particularly susceptible to this. And so we need to be reminded that, left to our own devices... We're not good at all. We were, and sometimes still are, foolish. Now, when Paul says that he himself and Titus and all Christians were foolish, he's not saying they're unintelligent. You're incredibly intelligent people. But what, when the Bible uses the word foolishness and wisdom, it's not talking about what you do with your brain. It's talking about what you do with your heart. To be foolish, or oh, sorry, to be wise first, To be wise is to recognise God's authority and power. Proverbs says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's what it means to be truly wise. It doesn't matter how good your brain is. Fearing God is true wisdom. And on the other hand, to be a fool is to live as if God isn't there. Psalm 14 says the fool says in his heart there is no God. That's the epitome of foolishness, to live as if God just isn't there. That's why Professor Stephen Hawking may have been one of the most brilliant minds to ever grace God's green earth. He was a damn fool because he lived as if God wasn't there. He refused to recognise God's authority. And it's not just atheists who are fools. 57% of Australians say they believe in God. But most of them go about their life day to day as if he is not there. It's foolish. It's denying reality. And so Paul wants to remind us that that's exactly what we were. We lived our lives as if 
just God isn't there, as if he doesn't matter. We were foolish, and then because of that, we were disobedient. Because we ignored God, well, we ignored his laws, we ignored his commands, we didn't obey him. And then instead of delighting in God and making, looking to him for our meaning and purpose, we instead sought fulfilment in all sorts of other things. And these things enslaved us. We looked, to, we looked for satisfaction through achievement. We measured our self-worth by our income. We counted likes on social media as a measure of our acceptance in order to feel accepted. And all these things just enslave us. They deceive us into thinking that if we have them, we'll be happy. And then we spend our lives chasing the end of the rainbow. We never get there because they aren't able to offer us what we think they will offer us. And so friends, if you want to live a good life, if you want to actually overcome sin in your life, the first thing you need to know is that you're not living a good life. The first thing you need to know is that being good does not come naturally to you. If you want to get good at singing, you need to be shown when you're hitting the wrong notes. If you want to get good at sport, you need to be shown the errors in your technique. And friends, if you want to get good at living, if you want to live the kind of life that Jesus wants you to live, you need to be shown where you're not. Left in your natural state, you are foolish and disobedient. You're deceived and enslaved. And that is what we all were. And some of us still are. You see, some of you are still going about your life foolishly, foolishly denying reality. You're living day to day as if God is not there. You're going to wake up tomorrow morning with no thought of God. The idea of what should I do today that will honour God, that just won't, that won't come to mind. And that's foolish. Some of you will live this week deceived into thinking that happiness is going to be found in something other than God. And it could be all sorts of different things. They could be good things in and of themselves. But if you are deceived, if you think that the only way that you can be happy, the only way that you can have meaning or purpose or hope or joy in this life is if you have that thing, you're a slave to it. It's deceived you. And this morning I share this with you, not to condemn you, not to judge you, but to show you that you're missing out on something better. You see, some of us are living the kind, this kind of life because you're yet to come to a knowledge of Jesus. You don't know him yet. And I hope that today God is opening your eyes to see him better. But many of you are Christians and you're still living this way. You're still living disobedient, deceived and enslaved lives. And the reason you need a reminder to be good this morning is that you're not, but you think you are. And that's, that's almost worse. <laughs> Have you ever met a person who thinks that they're good at something when in actual fact they're just terrible? It's really awkward. You, you met, meet someone who thinks they're a brilliant singer and it's just like, 
wow. It's, it's, it's embarrassing. You feel embarrassed for them. And yet, that's what some of us do as Christians. We can think that we're living a good life because by the world's standards, we're pretty good. We're decent human beings. But God doesn't measure us by the world's standards. He measures us by his standards. And so if we just trade righteousness for respectableness, well, we're exchanging what God wants for something that's second best or worse. We've deceived ourselves into thinking that we're good when we're not. And so we mustn't downplay God's expectations. We mustn't drag the bar down to step over it. That's not going to be the solution to being good. If we're to have any hope of actually being good, actually overcoming sin in our lives, any hope of actually loving God and loving our neighbours with the same energy and intent and purpose and joy that we love ourselves, the first thing we need to see is that we're not good. We're not going to reach our goal by deceiving ourselves. That's pointless. But clearly that's not all you need. You're not going to become good just by knowing that you're not good, right? We're going to need something else. But before we look at what Paul's solution is, before we see the thing that Paul says is the way for you to be good, I want you to see that what you're currently doing doesn't work. Because here's what you're currently doing. You've become a Christian. You know that's all by grace. God saved me. He graciously sent Jesus to die in my place. My sins are forgiven. That's all because of God, not because of me. But then when it comes to actually living a good life, you revert to works. When it comes to actually overcoming your greed and overcoming your problem with anger or pride or whatever it is, you try really, really hard. And that doesn't work. And so you grit your teeth and say, I'm going to try harder. And that doesn't work. And so you go, all right, I'm determined this time. It's a New Year's resolution. I'm writing it down. I am going to fix this problem. And you try again. And you see, trying is the problem. It's like trying to remind your kids to be good. It's pointless. You need something else. And so in verse 4, Paul shows us this something else. He shows us the thing that you need to actually be good. In verse 3, he says, At one time you were foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. You lived in malice and envy. You were hated and hating one another. But verse 4, But when the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared, He saved us. Now, that's, that's incredible news. Do you see what you contribute to the equation? You contribute foolishness, disobedience, deception, enslavement, malice, envy, and hatred. That's, that's the thing that you offer to God and say, God, aren't I good? It's not a good start. If God's drawing up a list of pros and cons of whether you should be in his kingdom, there's the list of cons and the pros list is, is empty. There's, there's nothing there. But he saves you. Why does he save you? Not because of righteous things you had done. Because you hadn't done any. And even if you had done some, they weren't enough. 
Not because of righteous things you've done, but because of his mercy. But God, but when the kindness and love of God appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. You see, it's all him. It's his love, his mercy that chose us. It is his son that died for us. It is his spirit that he gives to give us new life. It was his grace that justified us, that declared us right with God. It was his righteousness that was just given to us, even though it didn't belong to us. It is his inheritance that will one day belong to us. It's all him. And friends, that is good news for you. That is incredible news. It's the best news you'll ever hear. But here's the thing. Here's what's surprising about this passage. This little section about being saved by grace, Paul inserts in a passage that's about Christians living good lives. Does, does that seem odd to you? Do you see the, why that's weird? Paul's talking to Christians who are already saved by grace. He says, you guys need to be good. You need to actually live righteous lives. And the, re- the way that he shows them to do that is to show them something that already happened in the past. He points to the gospel. And you might be thinking, that's not what they need. They're already Christians. They know God loves them. They know they've been saved from their sin. What they need is some kind of teaching on how they're actually going to deal with their anger. What they need is is an answer to how do I let go of the grudge that I can't seem to get rid of. They want to know, how do I overcome the addiction that's in my life? How do I stop seeking intimacy in bad relationships? They want to deal with these problems. And Paul says, I just showed you. Friends, this is the most important thing that you need to hear this morning. The way to actually start being good as a Christian is the same way that you became a Christian. The the way to actually become righteous today in this life is the same way that God declared you righteous in the heavenly court when Jesus went to the cross. The way for you to overcome your sin today is to see the love and kindness of God that has appeared. Do you see this? How does God respond To your helpless state in verse 4. He shows us his love. He shows you. Now it was always there right? God is love. He was always loving. He was always kind. It wasn't that one day God decided he was going to start being loving to you. He was always loving but then he showed it to you. And he showed it to you by sending his son. The love and kindness of God appeared to us in the form of a man who died in our place. But here's where the rubber hits the road for you. Because that's how you were saved, but it's also how you're going to keep growing as a Christian. Because if you're struggling to be good, if you're struggling with anger, if you're struggling with lust, if you're struggling with addiction, your problem is not just a behaviour problem. You see, you fix behaviour by trying really hard. You set up checks and measures. You 
have an accountability partner or whatever it is. You fix behavior by trying. But your problem is not a behavior problem, it's a vision problem. You need to see the love and kindness of God. In the Bible, the language of seeing is the language of experience. The Psalms say, taste and see that the Lord is good. Actually experience it. The prayer that I reflected on before, Ephesians 1, Paul prays that the Ephesians would have their eyes open to see Jesus. They're already Christians. They've seen him, but he wants them to see in a way that they actually experience his love and kindness. The language of seeing in the Bible is the language of experiencing. And so the way for you to overcome sin is not to try really, really hard. You can do that all you like. You'll never get anywhere. It's to know, to see, to experience the love and kindness of God to you. What you need to do today is actually reflect on what Paul writes to, the, to Titus here in chapter 3. You need to see that all you had to contribute was a list of sin, but God saved you. That in love, in kindness, in grace, he chose you to belong to him. That he sacrificed his son for you. That he poured out his Holy Spirit so that you actually have his power at work in you. You need to marvel at that. And to the extent that you marvel at that and see how good that is, you'll actually start to be able to overcome your sin. Because when the gospel is real to you, when it grips you, when you see it for all its glory, you'll never need anything else. When you look at God's love and kindness, you no longer need the things that you're holding onto as precious. And they are the things that are enslaving you, that are leading you into sin. When you know God's love, when you've seen it, when it's appeared to you, you won't, you won't ignore God to try and get the love of people. You won't need it. You say, if I've got God's love, I don't need any other love. When you know God's forgiveness, when it's real to you, when you've experienced it, you won't need the forgiveness of other people. If you've got someone in your life that won't forgive you, you, you can live with that. Because you know you've been forgiven by the only person that matters. When you know God's freedom, when you know that in him you are free to be the person that you were created to be. Well, it's when you know that, when you've seen it, when you've tasted it, experienced it, well, then you can put up with oppression. You can submit to authorities that are terrible, which is exactly what Paul tells the Christians living in Crete to do. And we'll come back and look at that next week. Do you see... The way for you to overcome sin is not to try really hard. You can do that and you'll never get there. The way for you to actually deal with your sin today is to have the love and kindness of God appear to you. To actually see how good it is. And when you see it, if you truly see it, you won't need anything else. Let's pray. Our Lord God, we've asked 
once we've asked twice and we're going to ask you again. Please open our eyes to see your love this morning. Lord, would you show us just how deep and rich your love is that you, the perfect one, would be willing to sacrifice your precious son, substituting him in our place when we were foolish and disobedient, enslaved and deceived. Lord, help us to marvel at this. Would you show us just how incredible this news is? And with that, would you empower us to actually live good lives? Lord, we know the only way that we will ever be good is if we have lives that are gripped by your gospel. And so, Lord, we ask that you would captivate us with the glory of your gospel. Do that in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.